open your Bibles today, if you would please, to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to talk about one of the hottest topics on America's social scene. I've spoken several times about the practicality of Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. This is not a sermon for people in some bygone era, and that really has no application to us who are living today. Now, while we do live in a changing world, and there has been much progression in science and technology, there's none of us that can look at biblical history, which is essentially the history of mankind, and say that man has changed very much at all. The basic human condition is ever the same. It's been the same since Adam fell in the Garden of Eden. And it'll be the same until Jesus comes back again. And we all have this problem of sin. It's a problem that we can do nothing about naturally. Uh, It's affected men and women uh, individually, inwardly. And it also affects every relationship that we have with every other person. Sin also affects our marriages. And if you put two sinful people together, inevitably, more sin's going to break out. Sin is going to show itself. So that's basically our condition. And whether you're talking about the history of a, of a marriage that's 6,000 years old, or if you're teaching about the history of marriages in yesterday's newspaper, it's all the same. And so when Jesus began to teach on the subject of marriage, it was as current as if he were standing in the pulpit today addressing you instead of me. And I do believe that Jesus could stand right here today, he could preach this Sermon on the Mount all over again, and he would hit on the very same themes, the very same topics, and he would find people in the very same aggravated condition of sin that he mentions in the sermon. Now, we've been discussing marriage for the past three weeks And we're dealing with verses 31 and 32 in Matthew chapter 5. As you know, those are verses that are actually about divorce. But I felt like that we simply could not understand the seriousness of marriage until we understood the sanctity or seriousness of divorce until we understood the sanctity of marriage. And so I wanted us to see in these previous messages what our marriages should look like through God's eyes. And that way we would better understand how serious this the matter of divorce is and how that God truly does hate it. So finally today we are coming to the topic of divorce and we're going to talk about what was happening during the time of Jesus. And again, I think I can say it's not much different than what's happening today. Now the names may have changed But we could put our faces on these people that were listening to the Sermon on the Mount, find ourselves in the very same condition. Now, if you'd stand with me, please. We just have these two verses to read from Matthew chapter 5, and then, of course, we'll be going on to some other scripture. But Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 31, Jesus says, It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the time we have to spend together in your word. And Lord, as we deal with a difficult topic today, I just pray that you give us the grace to understand it, that we would accept your word as it is written. You'd help us to just better do what you'd have us to do in this area of concerning marriages and divorce. Bless our people today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
I must remind you again of the context of this statement of Jesus. Now, this was part of the correction of the pharisaical misinterpretation of God's law. The scribes and the Pharisees were the primary teachers of these people, and they had invented a system of laws that were substandard to God's requirements. Now, God's requirements are so high that when man is confronted with his inability to live to God's standard, he just simply invents a different standard. He begins to live by that, and then he calls that God's standard. And that's basically what all the religions of the world have done, except true Christianity. But Christians understand that there is no hope for us. There's no hope for the perfection that God requires. And so what we do is we humbly bow at the foot of the cross... And we trust the blood of Jesus Christ to cover all of our sins and to make us righteous in God's eyes. Now, in this part of the fifth chapter, uh, Jesus is giving six examples of the Pharisees' erroneous teachings concerning God's law. And he sets the record straight about the true interpretation. Most notably, he shows us that righteousness is not a matter of external commands, but righteousness is in the heart. And so that means that sin is not just an outward act, but sin arises from the condition of a sinful heart. And so in these first two examples, Jesus spoke about murder, and he spoke of adultery. And he teaches that murder is not just physically taking another person's life, but murder is committed whenever you are angry with a person without a cause. When you have hatred in your heart, Jesus calls that murder. And adultery, that's not just about the physical act that you commit, but it's also a condition of the heart, and it arises when there's lust in the heart. When you start to look at another person to lust after, them and you have these sexual images and things that are going on in your mind, then that, Jesus says, is already committing adultery. Now we come then to the third example, and that's the matter of divorce. And there's probably nothing that exposed the true wickedness of these scribes and Pharisees like this particular example, because Jesus nails them on their callous attitudes about marriage and how they appeared to be so pious and so holy outwardly, but really they were as black as coal on the inside. Now you see, the people had been looking at all of these laws that the Pharisees had put in place. And remember, that's nothing more than a man-made system. They had all the laws, and they looked at how the Pharisees kept those laws so meticulously, and the people were thinking, well, there's no way that I can live like that. There's no way that I can be as holy and as righteous as those guys. And they really thought that here are the people that are going to sit right next to the throne of God when they get to heaven. But nothing could have been more telling when Jesus started talking about adultery and about marriage and divorce. He began to expose the true wickedness of their hearts. They were right then in the throes of this awful wickedness and Jesus just hopelessly exposed them. And so this then is the intent of the six examples that Jesus gives. He intends to expose the wickedness of the heart, to show these scribes and Pharisees how truly sinful that they were. There was no righteousness in them, and that righteousness cannot be established by keeping external commands. Your heart has to be changed in order to be right. And that's the context of the teachings. Now, out of that, we have the secondary issues that we need to deal with. I mean, we get this part, hopefully, about true righteousness and what all that means, but we don't want to lose sight of these different teachings that Jesus gives because there are lessons that are to be learned here. 
And so we have to correct the actual sin itself. And that's why we're drilling down on the issue of marriage and divorce. So let's look at the teaching. Verse number 31, Jesus says, It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. Now, that's the pattern that's followed in all six examples. You have heard that it's been said, or it hath been said, and that refers to the Pharisaical teachings. That's what the rabbis were saying. That's their interpretation of God's law. And you'll notice in the beginning of verse number 32 that Jesus follows that with, but I say unto you. And that's not a change in the law, but here is Jesus actually giving the real interpretation. This is what God intended. This was God's law all along. And Jesus can say it this way because he's God. He has the authority of God. In fact, Jesus is the very one who thundered out the laws of God on Mount Sinai and then wrote them in the tables of stone. But we have to start with what they were saying. It hath been said. What was said? What was it they were teaching? Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. Where does that come from? Well, if you have your Bible there, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy 24. Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give him them a writing of divorcement. Now, now that kind of looks like that divorce was in the law of God all along. And let me say this while you're turning to that passage in Deuteronomy, that there are different ideas about divorce. Some say that it's okay to get a divorce for any reason. Some say it's not okay to get a divorce for any reason. There are no reasons for divorce. And some say, well, it's okay to get a divorce for some reasons. And then besides that, there's the issue of remarriage. Some say it's okay to divorce and you can't remarry. And some say, well, you divorce and you remarry and it doesn't really make any difference. Well, we're going to get into all of that, what the Bible says in these next two messages. Now, look at this uh, passage in Deuteronomy, beginning in verse number 1. Deuteronomy 24. When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, and give it in her hand, and send her out of his house." And when she is departed out of its house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her, and write her a bill of divorcement, and giveth it in her hand, and sendeth her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife, after that she is defiled. For that is abomination before the Lord. And thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Now there is what Jesus is referring to. So let's begin with this. The law of divorce from Moses. What did Moses say about divorce? Now the Pharisees, of course, had been quoting Moses and they were fond of doing that. He's the lawgiver. And so it's not as if they just simply pulled some kind of a teaching out of of the air. They had this passage that's in the Old Testament, but what they did was they used it wrongfully and used it to their advantage. And we know that Jesus did not come to change any Old Testament laws. He, he's not making any kind of change. He's not changing the force of the Old Testament law. He is going to uphold everything that the Word of God says. So he has to deal with this passage. Here is something written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, you'll notice in verse number 1 of Deuteronomy 24 that there is a cause for divorce, but it doesn't mention anything about adultery. 
It says, if a man have found some uncleanness in her. Why doesn't it mention adultery? Well, there's actually no need to mention it because the case of adultery really didn't lead to a divorce. If a woman was caught in adultery, you didn't have to divorce her. You just didn't take her to a court of law and draw up a divorce action. Here is something that's fairly cut and dry because if a person was caught in adultery, you just stoned them. Just take them out and stone them. It was a capital offense. And so the problem is taken care of very quickly without a divorce. The, the marriage is ended by reason of death. And that, of course, is what you find going on in John chapter 8. And, and that story about the woman who was accused by the Pharisees of committing adultery. And they brought her to Jesus. And they said, Jesus, here's a woman who's committed adultery. The law says to stone her. So what do you say? And so that's the way they did things. I mean, when a person was caught in adultery, they stoned them. So no divorce is needed here, not in this Old Testament time. And so Moses does not mention adultery. That matter's already settled. Now let me say this, that if we practice the very same thing today, that it would certainly cut down on a lot of divorces. And, and you that go to movies and things like that, you wouldn't have any movies to see because all of the Hollywood actors would be dead. And most of your neighbors would probably be dead too. So, so what's going on here? Why is, there, why is there an appearance here of permission for divorce? Well, first of all, here is a law that's given to control divorce and not to permit it. Now, as always, what the Word of God does, it deals with sinful man just as he is. Now, in Moses' day, there was pretty much the same thing going on that we see today. People were were wicked, there was strife in marriage, things were getting out of hand, and it came to the place that men were dissatisfied with their marriages, They, they had lustful hearts, and so they began to practice divorce, whether God's law said that you could or not. And so this is not a problem that you can ignore. You just can't say, well, I'm not going to deal with that, we're not going to talk about that, and hopefully the problem's going to go away. It's not going to go away. And so Moses gave a law to regulate divorce. It was a very chaotic situation that he had to deal with. And so the practice was so common that, that Moses simply had to do something about the chaos that it, that it created. Now divorce, we know, has become fairly easy in our society. And we surely understand, though, that, that we were not given divorce laws to encourage divorce. Divorce laws are given to regulate it. And that's what Moses faced. God's word had already been laid down. God already said what he intended about marriage. The pattern is set all the way back in the Garden of Eden where God joined Adam and Eve together and he said, you are one flesh. And so God never gave any law concerning divorce. One flesh automatically assumes that there is an indissoluble union. But men sin, don't they? Sin came into the world. And by the time of Moses, things were really getting bad, and divorce was common and unregulated. So Moses simply gave a writing of divorcement to control it. Now, why didn't he just say, well, no, it's not permitted. We're not going to allow this. Well, then what are you going to do with all these people that are living together and they can't stand each other? What are you going to do with them? They're mistreating one another. What can you do? And so it had to be dealt with. Now, a second reason that Moses dealt with the issue of divorce was that it was given to protect the woman. Now, this was a very different society in which they lived. 
You know, there are some people who pick up the Old Testament and they read it and they say, well, God is prejudiced against women. The Old Testament fosters this attitude about women and it says that women are no good. Women are nothing but chattel for men. But here we see that God never intended such a thing. Husbands were to love their wives. Husbands were to love them because they were bone of their bone and flesh of their flesh. And because man came along and perverted God's plan does not mean that God had anything to do with that. God's plan was actually the very best for women. Because what we have here, what we see, is actually God's compassion on women. Here you have a situation where the women were being mistreated by sinful men. And so Moses gave a bill of divorcement for the woman. He didn't give it for the man. This was her protection. Because the woman, when she was turned out by her husband, when he threw her out of the house, she was mistreated. Her children were mistreated. She had no place to go, and they suffered because of this. And so there are limitations that are put upon this. A man couldn't just throw his wife out for any cause. But the Word of God says here, Moses says, for uncleanness. Now, there's some who say that that original word actually meant nakedness. And, and what it really means is some sexual sin has been found. But regardless of whether it means that in particular, divorce was being practiced. And so Moses put the limitations on it. Now, there had to be some kind of a defect in the woman. It's not the same as saying that it's okay to divorce her. He's just saying you can't throw her out of the house for any old reason. Now, it seems more likely that the bill of divorcement was not a sexual sin. But this was because there was no sexual sin. And what it did is it prevented uh, someone from turning around and saying, well, this woman did commit adultery. She's been thrown out by her husband because she is an adulterer. So now we can take her out and we can stone her. Now, we'll see in a few minutes how that the Pharisees had, had tossed out the window all of these restrictions that Moses had, and they were practicing the very opposite of what Moses said. Moses was trying to regulate it. They're trying to increase it. So the whole point here is that Moses gave a writing of divorcement so that they would very carefully consider what they were doing. They had to have the witnesses, and they had to have the paperwork for a divorce. Now that leads then into this third reason. Why did Moses give a writing of divorcement? It was to solidify marriage. Now, first of all, it's given to control it, not to permit it. It's given to protect the woman. And the third reason, it's given to solidify marriage. Now, you think, well, how can divorce possibly solidify marriage? Well, what you don't have is Moses passing out divorce licenses like you do marriage license. What he's doing is reining in the problem. Now, let's go back here at Deuteronomy 24. Look again at verses 2 through 4. It says, And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her, and write her a bill of divorcement, and giveth it in her hand, and sendeth her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife, after that she is defiled. For that is abomination before the Lord. And thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. So if a woman was released from her first husband, then she goes and marries again. Then she's released from that second husband, 
Even if it's because of death, her husband dies, she can't go back and marry her first husband again. The divorce action is a permanent one. Now, we have to think about something that I preached a couple, three weeks ago. All all these messages tie together, so we kind of have to go back and forth and remember some things that were said. I spoke about three different unions that take place in a marriage. First, we have the union of the body. Then we have the union of the soul and the union of the spirit. A godly marriage is concerned about all three of those particular parts. And so when people were getting married back in the Old Testament times, they were naturally concerned with those three different areas, and they had made those areas of commitment. But it could happen that a man in his haste, he gets angry about something, he decides to break the union. Well, the cause for those people getting married is still there. I mean, still, the same reasons are there. But in his haste, he breaks the union and he sends his wife away with a bill of divorcement. Later, he sees what he did in his haste and he sees that he acted rashly. He did the wrong thing. And so he discovers, he remembers, well, I love my wife. That's why I married her. So I want my wife back. Moses says, you can't take her back. She's been defiled by another man. Now, that doesn't mean sinfully defiled, but another man has had her. And so actually, it's as if she is dead to him. He has no rights to her. She's hands off. And so she can't go back. And that was intended to show that marriage is something that you just don't walk into and out of at will. All of the factors have to be very carefully considered. And when a man would take time to consider the consequences, it would help him not to act rashly and then he would stay in that marriage. So there you have the reasons that Moses originally gave a writing of divorcement. It's never a part of God's plan. You can search the scriptures from top to bottom all the way through and you'll never find one place where God says it's okay for you to get a divorce. He never sanctions divorce. So this is a bad situation because of sinfulness and it had to be brought under control. Now we need to go on here and consider well, then what did the Pharisees do? How did they take that law of Moses and just completely turn it around and pervert it? Well, next then is the latitude of divorce from the Pharisees. Now, remember, we're working here on the premise that divorce is never God's intention. There is no law given from Mount Sinai that says it's okay for you to divorce. And so the Pharisees then took Moses' permission and he took the, they took the regulation and they turned it around to be something far different than what Moses intended. Now, before we actually get to that part, Let's survey just a little bit the landscape and let's see how they really got into this mess of all the perversions. I'm not going to take time to read it right now, but you can go to the book of Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament, and the Old Testament talks about this. Now, Malachi uh, comes at the end of the Old Testament period, and by that time, Israel was already stepping off the deep end concerning these issues of marriage and divorce. They had been perverting the laws of Moses. And so the people were involved in all kinds of adulterous practices. They were abusing their marriage vows. And because of that, God would not bless the people. They were in violation of his commandments. And always we see through the Old Testament that God said, I'll bless you. He said to Israel, I'll bless you if you keep my commandments. But what they had done, they turned those commandments upside down. They began to marry foreign wives. They were divorcing their wives. And God simply hates that sin. And you can read some about that in Malachi chapter 2. 
So you come down to the end of the Old Testament period, and you have this problem of marriage and divorce. You have the intermarriage with heathen people. And God was ready to shut the whole thing down. And we all know what happened. And that is that at the close of the Old Testament period, there came a time of 400 years when there was no prophet in Israel. But then we come to the New Testament. And during that intertestament period, these sect of the Pharisees arose. Uh, during that time, things kept getting worse, and they kept perverting the laws of God. They kept putting in this new system of laws. Things are getting worse and worse all the time. But then, then the New Testament period comes, and God raises up this great prophet by the name of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is out there thundering in the wilderness against sin. He's calling the people back to repentance. And he's telling the people, you need to stop all those practices that you had. And then we see Jesus when he begins in his public ministry. That he's dealing with these very same Pharisees time after time after time. And one of the very first issues that he deals with is this one of adultery and of divorce and of marriage and all of that. And the reason he does so is because this is the thing, one of the main things that got Israel in so much trouble in the first place. And so Jesus is calling them back to the real intent of the law. He goes back to the beginning of creation and he says, this is the way God says it should be. Now we need to remember that because when we see this problem with the Pharisees, we see the very same thing happening in America today. We have put into place a pharisaical system and friends, God is not going to bless our country. He's not going to bless Christian people until we start getting this thing right. Until we get back to what God's word says. So what did the Pharisees do? Well, here's what they said. I'm going to give you four problems of the Pharisaical teachings. The first one is that they said divorce is for any reason. Now, they had taken what Moses said in Deuteronomy 24, and they twisted it all out of shape. They took away the original meaning. Moses said, if a man finds an uncleanness in a woman, he can give her a bill of divorcement. Now, they took that to mean that Moses says it's okay for any reason to divorce your wife. If she puts too much starch in your shorts, then get rid of her. If she burns your lamb chops, then get rid of her. Just, just any trivial matter. It didn't matter. That's a cause for divorce. Now, you know what we've done today? We put a new term on that. Most of you know what it is. We call it incompatibility. What is incompatibility? Well, that essentially means that I can divorce you for any reason. I, we just don't get along together. I don't like the way you part your hair. You like to watch Oprah. I like to watch football. That's good enough. Let's get a divorce. Well, all of that was considered under uncleanness to the Pharisees. It just meant, I don't like the way that you do things. You don't suit me. And so I'm going to get a divorce. That's really not much different than what's practiced every day in America. But then it gets worse because, number two, they also said divorce is commanded. Now listen to this. It's not just allowed. Divorce is commanded. Now I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 19. Just a few pages over there, Matthew chapter 19. Because Jesus is here confronted with this very same issue again. And we have a fuller treatment of the subject. Next week we're going to talk a little bit more about this. But Matthew chapter 19, verse number 3. Pharisees come to speak to Jesus. Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Now, do you see that? Can a man put away his wife 
for every cause. That's exactly what they were teaching. Divorce for any reason, anything that you like. Now, Jesus answered that question by giving the sanctity of marriage. Verse number 4, And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Now there he just told them what the original intent is. Now listen to their next question. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? Now what they did was they twisted Moses' permission for a divorce in a command to divorce. So what they've done is they've taken God's holy law and they put a misinterpretation on it and it turns out to be exactly the opposite of what was commanded. God said, these two are one flesh. They're never supposed to be parted. And the Pharisees then pitted what Moses said against God Almighty and they said, Moses said they must be parted. Now you might not see this directly, but the real meaning of this is, is that a man should inspect his wife. He should keep his eye on her. He should look for her faults. And when he finds any kind of a blemish in her, when he finds that, he's to stick it to her. He's commanded to break that, break that marriage. End it. Have a divorce. Now, you see how perverted that is? It's just like these old Pharisees to, to gut the law of the real meaning. And, and all they really wanted to do, folks, is have an excuse that they could hop into bed with a different woman without being accused of sin. Now, that leads me to the third perversion, which is really twisted, and that is divorce is legal adultery. That is really the effect of their teaching. They are commanded to get a divorce, so then they can go looking for other bed partners. Now, they make this woman her wife, a wife, and then they decide to divorce her. They go to the next one, they divorce her, and they just start all over again. And what they were doing was legalizing adultery. You ever wondered how that woman in Samaria ended up with five husbands? Do you remember when Jesus met her at the well and he asked her to call her husband? And she said, well, I don't have a husband. And he said, well, you've spoken well. You don't have a husband. The one you're living with right now is not your, he's not your husband. But it turns out she had five husbands. Well, how in that time when adultery was considered such a great sin did she get five husbands? Well... It might just be that she'd been sent packing by five husbands. I mean, mean, they were all looking for bed partners. Now, we'll see about this again next week. That makes her an adulteress. And in John chapter 4, Jesus called her that. Now, I don't know if that's her case, but it could be. And we could easily see how that this happened to her. You have all these adulterous men out there who are just trying to make it look good in other people's eyes, and so they just change God's law. Now, do you see what that is? It's a lowering of God's standard. If you want to figure out a way to sin and not call it sin, you just change the law. And you just lower the standard and you call it good. You know there are churches all over America that are doing that today. They're sanctioning things like gay marriage and ordaining homosexuals to the ministry and they call it good. Well, how do they do that? They just change the meaning of sin. Uh, They say, well, Jesus said it's okay. Uh, Whatever they call love, love, love trumps all of God's laws. But didn't we find out, remember, I think three weeks ago, that the basis of God's law in the Old Testament was love? 
mean, the whole time, that the, the laws of God were underwritten by love. And so when God set down the laws against homosexuality and adultery and against sexual perversions, it was God's love that was actually underguarding all of the commandments. So how are you going to turn that upside down? And how are you going to say, well, it's okay if you have love. It's okay if it's a committed relationship. That's really all that matters. Now, do you see what it is? It's just like the Pharisees. It's legalizing sin. Now, the Pharisees did it with adultery. And what we've done, we've come along and we're worse than the Pharisees ever thought about being because we've taken every rotten sexual passion that there is and just said it's okay. And it's not just adultery. It's, every, it's everything that's going on out there. Any kind of sexual perversion that you want to get into, that's okay because we don't want to crimp anybody's style. The Bible calls it sin. And there are people that go to hell because of it. And he said, well, Pastor Smith, that's not very nice. That's an awfully mean thing for you to say. You just wait till we get over to Matthew chapter 23, and we'll see how Jesus talks. You know what he said to the Pharisees? He said, you're like a bunch of rotten tombs. You're just full of dead men's bones. You're putrefying. He said, you're venomous vipers. I've still got a lot to learn before I can preach like Jesus. And then there's one more thing about these religious teachers that mutilated God's law. Here's what they said. The paperwork is more important than the person. What they did was to concentrate on the paperwork. You see, the operative thing to them was the bill of divorcement. What's on the piece of paper? Did you fill out the paper exactly like you're supposed to fill it out? And you know they'd gone even so far as to prescribe the exact number of lines that had to be on the divorce paper. It had to be all figured out. It had to be all legalized and sanitized. And they were just worried about what the paper says. So they're so holy and pious, so it seems. They look at every jot and tittle on the bill of divorcement. But they care nothing at all for that poor woman who's used and abused. The woman who's turned out. And man can do anything that he wants to do with her. Now do you see where it all got started? It's a perversion of marriage. It's taking what God says is holy and sacred. It's taking this union of bone with bone and flesh with flesh and just letting it go. Stripping it of its most sacred principle that God has in his word, which is L-O-V-E. Adultery, divorce, all of these things are a perversion of love. But isn't that what you hear everywhere you go? Oh, let's make love. We're so much in love that we're just going to hop in bed and we're going to show our love for each other. I'm going to divorce my wife. I just met this cute chick at work and I really do love her. You know, I think Tina Turner said it best and she didn't have a clue. What's love got to do with it? It didn't have anything to do with that. It's not the love that we find in the Bible. I mean, nobody knows how to define love in its purest terms but God. We don't know anything about love. You look at America today, and we've just messed the whole thing up. There's strife, and there's division in our households. There's problems in our marriages, and it's all because we have no idea what we're doing. We've just turned God's laws around or forgotten them altogether. Now, let me close with this today. Next week, we're going to talk about how Jesus straightens this whole thing out. Just two verses, he puts the law back in the right context and into the right perspective. But let me just say to you today... That if you want to know what love is, what you need to do is walk up to a place where you can see a perfect, innocent man. You need to walk up to a place where there's an old rugged cross and there is a man who is hanging there who has been beaten beyond recognition. 
You walk up to that place and you see the blood that's streaming down his face. You see the sweat and the agony and the pain that's on his face. And then you listen to him. And he says, I love you. I've given my life so that you can be spared the judgment of your sins. All that anger, all that hatred you have in your heart, all of that lust, all of that greed. He said, I love you enough that I died for you. My friend, that's what Jesus is teaching about marriage and love. The Scripture says that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And that means that he loved it enough to die. And that's how the Bible says a man is to love his wife, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You don't break a union built on that kind of love. So what's God's view of divorce? Well, he hates it. He hates it because it's a violation of his holy law. And friend, you can't get a divorce without walking up and spitting in the face of the man who's hanging on Calvary's tree because that's what he died for. He died for the sins that we commit. Now, you see how helpless that we really are? Is there anybody who could say, well, have the audacity to say, I'm good enough to get into heaven. I'm okay, I can get to heaven. You can't get there except for Christ and his righteousness. It has to be given to you. Now, here's the good news, in a sense. You, you, may, you may be a person who's a victim of divorce. You might even be a person who was a cause of divorce. The good news is that God forgives. And God takes all of that away. Now, if you want to look at it this way, we're all Pharisees. doesn't make any difference whether you're married or not. doesn't make any difference if you've ever contemplated divorce or not. We're all Pharisees in this sense, and that is we are sinners. You're a sinner, and I'm a sinner. And what we all must do is repent of our sins and trust Jesus Christ to wash all of those sins away. That's how we become righteous in the eyes of God. And that's what... Jesus is teaching when he deals with murder and about adultery and divorce. How are we going to be righteous in God's eyes? It's only through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word again. I pray, Lord, for those here today. We've all in our families been touched by divorce in one way or another. Some are here today and they've been involved in divorces and Lord, we know that you are a forgiving God. You forgive our sins. All that we need to do is to ask for that forgiveness. We pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here today who's not trusted you as personal Lord and Savior, that they might see there's no hope for anything externally that we can do. There are no sacraments to be kept. There are no righteous acts to be done. The only thing we can do is to turn to you for the forgiveness of our sins. So I ask you, Lord, to speak to someone's heart today and give them that faith to believe in you. Then, Lord, we pray for Christians here who might even be contemplating this issue. There's trouble in marriages and things that are going on in their lives. I just ask you, Lord, that you would show them the seriousness of this, how that you really consider this, that you really, you just went to the cross and you died for our sins and included all of these heinous acts that we do against you. Lord, speak to our hearts today. Draw us close to you. We just pray people repent of their sins today and get right with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.